You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm John. And tonight we are looking at the 1953 War of the Worlds here on Movie Night. Let's start with a synopsis. It's just another quiet night in small-town Linda Rosa, California, when a meteorite strikes nearby, igniting fires. After the danger from fires is quelled, the locals are quite pleased that an intact meteor has landed nearby. They'll be able to turn it into a tourist trap. Nearby, a group of scientists from the Pacific Institute of Science and Technology, a.k.a. PIST, are fishing, and the authorities ask them to have a look. Dr. Clayton Forrester investigates, but since it's too hot to get close at the moment, he goes into town and enjoys the local square dance with Sylvia Van Buren, a local citizen who also has a master's degree in science. During the dance, the power and phones go out, and everyone's watch stops. At the meteor, something begins to come out, and the deputies left on guard are burned to a crisp by a heat ray. Returning to the crash site, Forrester sees the charred remains of the deputies, and another meteor comes down. This is an invasion! It's time to call the military. As general man and troops arrive, reports are coming in from all over the world. Meteors are landing everywhere, and soon thereafter, all communication is lost to the area. They prepare to attack. At dawn, some form of flying war machine rises from the crash site. When Sylvia's uncle, the local pastor, tries to go talk to the aliens, they burn him down. The military open fire with everything they've got, including jets from overhead. None of it works, as the machines have protective bubbles around them. The armed forces are wiped out. Forrester and Sylvia escape in a small plane, but Forrester crashes it because he's flying too low in an effort to avoid detection. After their crash, they find refuge in a farmhouse. Soon, another meteor crashes into the farm, bringing the building down around them. They are right inside a nest of Martians and are found by a Martian camera device. Forrester manages to chop the camera off, but then an actual Martian comes to investigate. They scare it off with bright lights. They make a break from the building moments before it is destroyed by the heat rays. In Washington, with reports from around the world of the failures of the armies of all nations, the use of nuclear weapons is authorized. They plan to bomb the Martians near Linda Rosa. Forrester and Sylvia make it back to Pist with the Martian camera and a sample of blood. No real hurry to analyze the blood. There'll be Martian blood aplenty after the nuke goes off. They all make their way to the front to the observers. The A-bomb is dropped and the Martians are unfazed. Their protective bubbles are impervious to atomic weapons. The military has failed. Now it's time for the scientists to save the world. The pissed staff evacuate their facility in Los Angeles as the Martians are advancing on the city. Their plan is to go to the Rockies and set up a new base of operations. They don't make it that far. Sylvia driving the school bus with all the other scientists and Forrester bringing up the rear with a truck full of equipment are separated. Then crowds of panicked people overwhelm Forrester's truck, throwing him to the street and driving off. He searches frantically for the bus and eventually finds his truck overturned and pieces of the school bus as the Martians begin to destroy L.A. 
All is lost, so there is nothing for him to do but search the streets for Sylvia. He remembers a story she told him about her childhood, where she sought refuge in a church. So he tries all the churches, until he finds her. As they stand together, locked in an embrace, as the Martians attack the church they are in, suddenly it all goes quiet, and the Martian war machines collapse, their occupants dead, killed by the bacteria God used as a biological weapon against them. Praise the Lord, hallelujah. The end. Okay, War of the Worlds, 1953. Uh-huh. What do you think? I think this is a must-see for all science fiction fans. Even if you don't really enjoy old movies, you should definitely watch this one because there's been so many derivations of this made, and it's it's just, you know, entertaining. Special effects are great, uh, even... If you do see wires once in a while, that could <laughs> actually be the print that you're watching. And uh, yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm, I've, I watched this when I was a little kid. And, uh, you know, if it's on TV, I will gladly watch it. I, you know, it's obviously it's a, a much um, lauded film. Uh-huh. Academy Award for Best Visual Effects uh, was... Uh, deemed culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant in 2011 by the United States Library of Congress. Uh, so it's in preservation of the National Film uh, Registry. Um, you know, it, it's it's the, a good the, film. Uh-huh. I'm not sure it's a good version of War of the Worlds. Oh, I didn't say that. Yeah, I know you didn't. I know you didn't. Yeah, no, I mean, if you're going to put it head-to-head against the book, then yeah, there are some differences. And... You know, you could say that things were cut because of the time constraints of being in a movie. Uh, it takes place in America in the 1950s and not England in uh, the 1890s, oh, 1880s. 1890s, yeah. yeah. Trying to think of what era that was. 1880, uh, 1890, I'm not sure which. Yeah. But yeah. So there are some, going to be some differences, you know, condensed time. And, and you know, for me, the biggest one is the inclusion of uh, it looks like God probably had a hand in, in killing those oh, nasty yeah. Martians. Uh, that is definitely, uh, uh, and we can talk yeah. a little bit about some of the, the differences. But, you know, yeah. the, the thing is, to me, it's not just that there are things changed from the book. Obviously, you know, you, you could put it in America, you could make it 1950s. But to me, the impact of the story, what the story is saying is gone. It, it is, the book is an indictment on colonialism. It's an oh, indictment yeah. on Britain going out to backward nations and subjugating them with their advanced technology. And and that is that is kind of lost. I mean, yes, we were as guilty, not as nobody's as guilty as the British when it comes to colonialism. But no, we have our moments. So yes. it's not like that needed to be the they, but it's just, it's gone. And any subtext of that seems in the, this is just an invasion story. Yeah, it's in not a metaphor being, for anything. In the 50s, that message would be hard for the audience to accept. Right? That was not something that they were thinking of at all, really. Most and, people, anyways. No, and another thing that's in the original book that people often forget about is that it's not very kind to religion either. Even though, even though that very line that uh, they use, they they use, there's a couple of lines uh, used in this film, in the narration, that are straight from the book, the route of civilization, but they're all kind of reworded so that they're less poetic and they're just 
duller. But nonetheless, you can go back to the original book, and Wells does say at the end, the Martians were, quote, slain after all man's devices had failed by the humblest things that God in his wisdom had put upon this earth. However, looking at how people treat and use the idea of God in that, in that book is not flattering. It's not making any, you know, it's, it's not saying nice things about no. the church and, and people. And of course, in this film, you said you could be watching this and say it is the intervention of prayer and, and God <laughs> that yeah. causes this to happen. You know, let's forget the fact that they've apparently wiped out most of the other capitals of the world, and they were probably all sitting in churches praying their butts off, too. But you know, when they get to Los Angeles and they're praying, then that's different. Cause, oh, it's the American God. We're it's the American stronger. God. That's right. And and so... God of capitalism and industry. There's a little bit of the... There's a little bit of the hubris. Um, I don't know if that's the right world. But at the beginning of War of the Worlds, when the war machines are coming down and they begin to realize that there are that they are actually Martians and not just meteors, uh, uh, there is a, a couple of sequences where, you know, life goes on. Oh, isn't that jolly interesting? Um, and you get a little of that with the old lady selling the newspapers. You know, she's just sitting there and she's just completely rattling it off as bored as can be oh yeah it's just another thing to, to sell papers yep but it's it it is kind of it's talking about our you know we're there the british if you will arrogance and their place in the world it's like it 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 is it's gone here uh right. the, the only time we really get any of that is when well we're bringing the nukes now okay <laughs> they're done for <laughs> We're done screwing around with these Martiany guys. Let's just nuke them back to the Stone Age, and you know, that that fails. So yeah, I, I it's a good film. It's just not a good War of the Worlds to my to my mind. And honestly, I can't think of a good War of the Worlds film. <laughs> right? I I cannot think of one that has done well. That that BBC yeah. thing a few years ago that we reviewed on the podcast was dire beyond belief <laughs> the, the one that the what was it uh asylum uh was not good yeah of course not a lot of their movies are great either so no. and i haven't seen the one with tom cruise because i can't stand tom cruise but i'm sure it's not any good <laughs> like i, I I'm, I'm just sure yeah um, i don't I, know that for a fact seen that one but... either so I just, I just feel that odds are in my favor that, that, that it's not because apparently they just can't make. And it, to be fair, a lot of what's going on in the book is a little bit slow and not, you know, it is, it is kind of going from scene to scene to see what's going on. It would make a far better kind of mini series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say if you wanted an actual accurate portrayal of the book on TV or film, it would have to be a miniseries. It'd have to be like, uh, what Ten was parts, that? maybe. The City of Gold and something with the tripods. Oh, the tripods, yeah. Well, the yeah, City of Gold and the, Lead was... Gold, yeah, there we go. City of Gold and Lead. The White Mountain was the first one. There, yeah, um, there we go. City but of the, Gold and Lead, and then I can't remember what the other one was. From what I remember of reading the books, which I think I first got introduced to him by reading the... Uh, cartoon adaptation in in the boy scout boys life magazine 
when I was You're an early kidding. teen. I am not kidding. They had a, a, a series of that in there. And then after that, I picked up one of the books. And uh, then many, many, many years later, I got to see the uh, the BBC miniseries. Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. But, it's you not know, like anything that's a book. It takes a lot of time to tell that story. Yeah. Yeah. And also because it is, it is episodic in nature. Uh-huh. The, the War of the Worlds book is episodic in nature as we we go from our protagonist going to one meeting up with a preacher in his life, yep. meeting up with a soldier who's digging the underground bunkers, doing going into London and seeing what a mess it is. All of these stories are kind of they're they're scenes to tell <laughs> easy to serialize. <clears throat> yeah, you would think it would be, but yeah. there you go. And I I personally feel that the 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 lesson about colonialism, even though you could argue there are no colonial powers left, is still an important one to know because the legacy oh, that'll live is still here. Years and years and years. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, in a way, disappointed. And if you came to this as your first War of the Worlds, you know. <laughs> which, <laughs> which, like, which for me it was. I didn't read the book until I'm you sure it was for me it. too. So I, I think I'm sure it was for me six. Yeah, I I well, I don't know when I read War of the Worlds, probably maybe high school, maybe junior high school. Junior but, high, I believe that's when I read it. You know, you, you read it and first off you go, Well, this is nothing like the movie. Oh, yeah. But and you know, gosh, he talks a lot and you know, but uh, anyway, it, it's it, like it's um, it's like I'm reading a Sherlock Holmes story. <laughs> I suppose. So there's another thing that I, I think that's Really oddly mismatched in how they've translated this story. What? Now, if you will recall the original War of the Worlds, our protagonist was a journalist. Uh-huh. And he is, you know, swept up in in the being chased by the Martians like everyone else. Uh, and what he sees is the military fight back of of Great Britain, the the greatest power on earth right exactly trying to at that time yeah and all of our weapons all our technology which all our technology equals all our weapons there is no there is nothing else there is no science there is no strategy there is no diplomacy there is nothing there is just our yeah. military might <laughs> throw mass going against the martian and it fails okay that is kind of what this story has to be to reach possibly the most famous ending of a book, one of the most famous endings of a book or a story ever. And that is when all else fails, the bugs got him. So you just, you just survived by dumb luck. Yeah. Just absolute dumb luck. Wasn't, wasn't any skill. It was just the environment that you grew up in saved you, which could arguably be malaria. Because that did wipe out a lot of the Brits yes. during the colonial era. I mean, it, there is some parallel to that, but, you Thank know. goodness for gin and tonics. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in this gin film. Gin and tonics for the Martians. In this film, we've had to, uh, we've had to incorporate the scientists. Uh-huh. Because you can't have a 1950s film without atomic scientists. Oh, heck no. I mean. They do you- nothing. You, you would never be able to get that past anybody. They do nothing in this film. Zip. 
Uh, yeah, they advise a little bit and come up with some yeah, accurate assumptions, but uh, which much were not used. How exactly? I, mean, I, I, was, I can't the, think of any suggestion they made that was taken up. Um, the most, the only information that the military used was stuff that they received from couriers and forward observers before they were overrun by the Martians. You mm -hmm. know uh, how they how they did their their uh, staging for the attacks. You know the numbers that they landed, all that kind of stuff is was just the most basic information about a, um, a an enemy, an adversary's movements and sizes, yeah, and uh, nothing that nothing that from the camera, nothing from the blood, nothing from any right. of that Cause stuff. Because everything happened within hours in many cases. It's just there wasn't any time for the science to do anything really. Well, I I agree. You could make the argument that it's, it's a lack of time, but the point is, is they had to put them in the story, but they basically nerfed them. Oh yeah, well they, yeah, they, they accomplished nothing with the scientists because the story isn't about that. The story yeah. is about our military might is useless against the aliens, right. and something else takes them out in this in this uh -huh. version. God and his buggies, but um, his infinite wisdom for creating those bugs. <laughs> yes, he created those bugs. Because Martians are not God's creatures, because they're from another yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. These are their chosen ones, because God, right, they yeah. don't look they, like, they God don't doesn't look like Martians. Right. Invisible sky. Yeah. And then there is the sequence where Forrester is running through the streets and he's talking to the MPs and he's complaining about how the stupid masses are, by destroying his scientific equipment, they've cut their own throats. It's, it's lip service. It wouldn't have mattered he, because even if they got up to the mountains with time, you know, in to set everything up and start doing science, whatever that would be, it would only be a matter of a day or so before the Martians took them out. I mean, they would figure out how to scale mountains, which probably would be pretty easy for them uh, in their their tripods. They could get up there, yeah, but they might yeah. not be heading for populate non populated areas, right? They're well, they're going off the big cities, and apparently. They've let days go by for London and Washington, or London and Sydney and Beijing yeah. and all those places. But Los Angeles, for some reason, they they futzed around for several days before they started moving. Even right, though that's right. where they landed first. Right. I about that, but. Yeah, I don't know about that either. But I, I no, I don't really don't think that the scientists would have had a uh, a ghost of a chance to do anything. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make argument in their favor but i'm also going to make an argument about like what would they what could they have done first off a smart person the uh, and i'm not saying it would work okay I, I i'm honestly coming out and saying i'm not sure this would work okay but i can't help thinking that if maybe you buried an atomic bomb and let the martians go across it and <laughs> then detonated it yeah, their bubble yeah. sure looked like it was a canopy over the top. Yeah, of the a nuclear landmine might might work, or even regular landmines for that matter. Yeah, true. True. I mean, of work. some nature, not necessarily anti-personnel landmines, but you know, oh, anti-tank explosion. Weapon. Yeah, yeah anti-tank weapons would bigger. definitely work, and they definitely had those back in the early fifties. Yeah, in fact, I would say that. Well, by then. Yeah, probably not by the early fifties that they would have actual nuclear landmines. I mean, they did exist. Um, for hell, they still exist. I don't know if they're being used <laughs> well, but yeah. Uh, so I mean, they could, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
that might there help. are a whole bunch of things we could have tried, but you know, time's running out, military's running out. I I I get it. It's just and you know, maybe if the special effects had looked a little different, like a bubble instead of a a dome, then I wouldn't be thinking that. And who yeah, knows? Maybe. Maybe that's what it was supposed to look like. And they said, Yeah, we can't do that, but I can put this glass thing over it and it'll look cool. And I'll go, Okay. Yeah, that works. <laughs> yeah, that works. No one's going to be thinking about this very hard. Yep. For at least 50 or 60 years. <laughs> 70. <laughs> it is 70 years. Oh, wow. You're right. It's 70 years. Whoa. Right now. Wow. That hurts. Not- okay. That my brain hurts. Ow. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. But here's how the scientists could have made a difference. Okay. And and the thing is, you can't change the ending of the film. Or, or I you know, who knows? For all I know, for all I know, maybe in the Tom Cruise version, you know, he, he gets himself clear at whatever his maximum Scientology level is, and he's just able to will the aliens off the planet or dead or something. But, but, you know, I think there's a good argument that he said, you can't have War of the Worlds without the aliens dying of microbes at the end. But Unless you want to make a sequel on TV in the 80s. We'll get to that. But <laughs> he brings them blood, he gives it to the biologist, uh-huh. and then he suggests to her, you know, maybe we could use this. And she's like, you mean like using their biology or biological agent against them? And she's got a look on her face like, are you mad? But of course, then the, the other guy goes, well, don't worry about that. There'll be blood plenty when the bombs go off. They can actually, yeah. there probably won't be a lot of blood bombs go off. If indeed no. it did what you hoped it would do. Right but, on the outskirts, maybe. But yeah, exactly. But uh, okay, let's say they had time. They could have developed the biological weapon uh-huh. to do it. They could have found the microbes and infected them with smallpox. Send some blankets. Send some blankets. You know, or whatever. Like right. They, took. they could have still killed them with the microbes of Earth, but and then they would have had a part in this. They could have they could have scientifically made it as part of this program. It would ruin the ending of the story. It would not be War of the Worlds, but arguably in a way this isn't. So, you know, it it, it is... Well, there are things they could have done, but here is the interesting question to me. Uh-huh. You're not going to see this one coming. Okay. 1925, Geneva Protocol. The use yeah. of biological weapons is against the law. Right, and that's why the scientist was so appalled by it. But would they have used them? Would the law apply to Martians from another world? Um, I think the fact that there would be a... Uh, unless they figured out a way to specifically only target one organism, the Martians, I think that there would be unintended consequences by poisoning the countryside with deadly strains of of uh, the human, common cold, human diseases. Yeah, I mean, like anthrax I mean, or th- it something tur- like okay. that. It turns out people. that the common cold could kill them. Maybe it was the common cold that killed them. If they right. go after Martians with big atomizers with cold germs in them, just oh, I, unmodified I, I, human cold, that's still I, biological warfare. Yes, Is sir, that right. illegal? And would they be a, would they do it? And I think, yes, they would because they yeah. set off a nuke. But... Yes. It, yeah. Well, I mean, it was, it's incredibly dire at this point. 
that to, you know, that we try to protect ourselves. So yes, yeah. I think in that yeah. case they would. And especially if it was something as relatively benign as influenza. Of course, I say so, this in post-COVID world. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. That's why I went with a cold. Uh, that that right, actually yeah. is why I went with a cold instead of flu in that it's analogy. Already, because yeah, it's like, yeah, a fair number of people do die from the flu, but uh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not trying yeah. to make light of that. But yeah, uh, good old bacteriological infection, maybe something yeah. like that, you know. Would have been interesting. You know, they weren't actually properly big. I was hey. looking this up just for the sake of argument, and, and it turns out that the use of chemical and biological warfare, like I said, was banned by the Geneva Protocol 1925. However, during because the Germans used anthrax and um, glanders, is that what it's called, as biological weapons in World War One. They used blistering agents. Well, that would be chemical. Yeah. But they also used anthrax and, and I've got it written down here somewhere. I think it's glanders. Yeah, glanders. Never heard of glanders. Well, yeah, but there you go. One. But during World War II, Britain had an aggressive program working on and weaponizing anthrax and botulism and a, a number of other diseases. And the United States did too. And they very effectively had it. And you would think, why is that allowed if that's against the law? And the answer uh, is, it was not against the law to develop or possess exactly. them. Exactly. It was only, only, to, only them. deploying it. And they only would have done it if the other side had done it first. It's Wasn't one of those things. Wasn't the 70s that they actually banned, uh, banned the weapons themselves. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I, I think it would have been, it could have been interesting to have the discussion in the film. It's like, what is the morality of that? You, you are being wiped out. I... Right. I, I would absolutely use it. I mean, I'm, I'll come down on the side of absolutely I would. But based on what we saw the Martians doing, they have machines well, that burn everything or literally break the atomic structure down and dissolve right. the cities completely. Things. And they appear to be doing that. I think a reason why they wouldn't have had a, a, a little discussion about the use of chemicals or use of biological agents like that is because if there would be a chance of mankind doing that uh it would take away from the awesomeness of god well yeah like uh, i said you can't it, you can't undermine the ending of this story right which has to be oops we're surprised that the bugs killed them right and and you know the bugs that god created not the ones that were created in the laboratory by humans you know we can't uh if we we can't actually give any glimmers of hope other than nukes because, you know, nukes were the end-all, be-all back in the 1950s. They were the thunder child of the, uh, of the, yeah, thunder yes. child. That was the name of the, by the way, just going to say, the only good ad adaptation of War of the Worlds is the musical. <laughs> Which is pretty version. awesome. It is pretty awesome. We, we did you review like that Frog one a Rock, while back. That is one yeah. you need to, to, to pick up. Both versions. Yep. Both versions. There's the old one with, um, uh, Richard Burton and the new one, the newly redone one with, um, gosh, I can't think of his name right now. Oh. Famous though. Big voice. Oh, Brian Blessed, is it? No. <laughs> not that big of a voice. <laughs> uh, no, no, it's not. I'll, I'll think of it eventually, but, the uh, Martians. Oh, yeah. yeah um, <laughs> actually I would pay money to hear that. That would be, that would be awesome. I would pay money to hear that one. All right. So another major point that's missing from this story 
What don't the Martians do that they did in the original book? Well, they don't enslave people. They don't bring their plants with them because they like plants. Just red ones, though. They don't. The Martians didn't really enslave people. The Martians what? herded people. Yeah, they herded they them. They ate the, them. It's kind of short-term enslavement. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they are putting them in pens uh-huh. and eating them. I don't think that's I don't think that's technically enslavement. I think enslavement puts, is putting people where I know it's taking away the freedom. Well, I, I get I think, that. But in other words, it is a different order of why you're capturing the people. You are you are actually turning them into a herd animal. Like yeah, you, they are yeah. cows for the Martians. And that plot is not even hinted at in the No, in which this. is unfortunate. I, I think that really would have been good. I wonder why. Was it just too much um, I, I think that the, when it was being worked on, uh, just the idea that it wasn't the narrative they wanted in the story. They just they wanted a an alien, a hardcore alien invasion of Earth, and at the last second they are saved by bacteria. You know that's it. It's just, it's a running story, and that's all they wanted to do. You know and. Yeah, I know that that George Powell did manage to put some decent bucks into it to uh, get great special effects and whatnot. But I think still the story is just, you know, it's chase. They're being chased. And that's it. Yeah. I I uh, I think that, you know, of, of all the things in this film, the the war machines are possibly one of the most iconic things in a in a science fiction film ever oh yeah they were completely plus that noise completely new from the time i mean that was you know it wasn't a uh, um couple paper plates with sparklers and gasoline poured on them flying around uh and it wasn't like a a piece of of painted nice plan and, nine from outer space reference there yeah, yeah. It wasn't a piece of military surplus gear that had been painted and a couple of things, you know, bolted onto it. A completely new looking, very sleek, uh, you know, predatory looking creature. Uh, you know, the the way the, the, the heat ray eye thing bobbed around like the head of a snake. And then, of course, the, the iconic sound of the, the weapon. Sound. You know, I... And just the, the, I, the hunting sound that it would make. Yeah, just I am awesome. I am really upset about this. Something I was watching the other day, this this week, was using that sound. <laughs> I'm not surprised. It shows up in so many places. It was like the control room of something, and I just was like, Martian War Machine! <laughs> like, yeah. It just absolutely no doubt what it was. Um, yeah. And I hadn't even, I hadn't even watched this yet. I hadn't, hadn't seen it in, you know, 10 years. And right, you it's hear like that hearing, sound, and you're just like, yeah, you just. You it's know. like hearing uh, Star Trek sound effects in shows that predate Star Trek. Yeah. Whoa, or 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 the sound of bionics. Uh-huh. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. that. Yes, definitely. Yeah, like, you know that one. Just like that, Steve Austin That's lifting a car. I know that sound. Yeah, but it was a bit of a stretch to make those tripods. Yeah, I think it's, that's... it's an interesting idea that they, they they had the three 
projected energy beams kind of uh-huh, at the right. bottom. So they weren't really flying. I, I did use the word flying in my synopsis, but they weren't technically flying. They were walking, were... I guess, sort of repulsing across the ground. Yeah. Levitating right. on poles of energy. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll accept it because they do look cool. I, I, I will not in any way diss the look of and, the war machines. but And it's much easier to make something glide through the air than it will oh, be it is to, to walk. Yeah. stop motion um, walking. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, this would have been taxi. Wires even, are cheap. Even Ray Harryhausen would have had a hard time pulling this one off and making it look good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It wasn't until the, the 80s that stop motion walking for mechanical things really worked well. Yeah, I'm thinking of the Ed 209 from the movie RoboCop. RoboCop, yeah. And the, the work that- And even that looks- on That was awesome. Uh, it you still looks still like a model. But stop motion, yeah. But it is better. It's yes. good. It's got motion blur on it. And, you know, they, they yeah, it looks, it looks good. But yeah, for, you know, design considerations and technology they had, they, I think they pulled it off. Yeah. I love, absolutely love- the sequence where the town elders or whatever they are are talking about turning the meteor into <laughs> so their hot dogs and barbecue. You know, then bar- hot dogs and barbecue and all this stuff. And then like, oh, we could put in some picnic table. And they're like, no, don't put in the picnic tables. They might bring their own food. That's right. Yep. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he was the mayor. <laughs> Fair enough. But, you know, it's just, it's just, or a local business owner, or both, you know. Yeah, of course. The, the local mayor is a local business. Yeah, 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 exactly. Absolutely. They were Sylvia's uncle, the pastor. Yeah, yes, pastor. Interesting that. Well, I don't. I don't know. If you if you look at the curate from the book, right? That, he's uh, he, he's gone. Oh yes, yes, insane. The the priest in the the book he is. He's he lost has it. it. He has not adapted well to the situation. Right. And, and you know. He's gone off the deep end. Here's the thing about that sequence in the book. And like, here is a guy with a very strong worldview. Uh-huh. Because you have to be, to be that dedicated to your, he is, his life is dictated by his worldview of God. And the Martians don't fit in that. No, 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 no. They do not fit in that at all. And he loses it. He he absolutely bonkers, loses it. And uh, yeah, he, within, he looks you know, at them in the only lens he has. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think he's also actually come at a, a psychotic episode. But it, well, it, I think he had a major that, delusion yeah. of grandeur that he could, he alone could be the one that could tame this amazing force. Yeah, it didn't work. And uh, yeah. It didn't work. So, and then in this film, of course, the ending really does have that God save the day vibe. It's not dumb luck. It's God. <laughs> yeah. And yet, they did burn the pastor alive. Oh, yeah. They burned him up real good. But he was the guy that was trying to... The Nobody else tried. Well, that's not technically true. The deputies actually tried. But nobody knows the deputies tried. No, they just saw their they bird just got burned. Wound. And uh, so the pastor's like, you know, we're going to try to talk to these instead of shooting up with a gunsy gunsy things. And he's the man of reason. And he gets burned for it. 
But right. if if you know if God was saving the day, wouldn't he have been saved? I think some things you're not supposed to think about that strongly. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, he, he does apparently work in mysterious ways, and that, apparently that was one of them. Creating the Martians was one of his mysterious ways. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. And they're going to come wipe you out and eat you. Oh, not in this film. But uh, anyway. It's all a test. That's what it is. It's a test. Okay, in the category of things you shouldn't think about. Yeah. So what happens when the uh, the first meteor comes down near sure. Pine Summit and it lands in the quote-unquote forest? Right. What happens? Was the first thing that happens? Well, it was a, well uh, after the small fire. Fires. Uh, right, yeah. Okay, fires, because it's so hot, it ignited the wood and the forest and, and whatnot, and there were fires, and they had to go uh-huh. down and put them out and the fire department or the fire lookout spotted it and all that stuff fires right i right. couldn't even get close to it it was so hot for well we'll have to wait till tomorrow kind of thing okay. why didn't the fir- farmhouse burst into flame i have no idea other than perhaps in the don't think about it category <laughs> um it could be that uh that the first cylinders that landed came in a little hot because they were the first ones and Quite possibly, they radioed back to the approaching fleet saying, uh, you know, change your attitude a little bit so you don't come in as fast because they want to be able to deploy within seconds of landing. Well, not seconds, maybe a couple hours, but uh, they want to be able to get out of there quickly. Uh, But yeah, why didn't the farmhouse catch fire? Who knows? Like, yeah, it's like because they were inside of it. It's a modern farmhouse made out of asbestos. So, you know, it's safe. <laughs> yes. No danger here. No danger here. That's just not that they are glass fiber, glass wool. All going to die from the fallout from that atomic uh, blast. A, yeah. I'm going to talk about that. As a heck like of a boom. Four guys were wearing protective clothing. Everyone else is wearing their their uh, either military fatigues or, or civilian clothes. Because. Like, okay, the guys in the radiological jackets are going to be safe until they totally don't go through decontamination. Uh, yeah, okay, that's probably a little bit beyond the scope of the story there. But <laughs> Yeah, and in those days, remember, they were still detonating nukes out in Nevada and just people were hanging around watching it. So. Oh, heck yeah. That's good times. It's a, it's or, a or, for a party. you know, hanging out inside a refrigerator and uh, <laughs> quoting another movie. Yeah. <laughs> Blasted clear of the zone, yes. There, there. <laughs> I, you already alluded to it, but I'll, I'll bring it back up. The 1988 War of the Worlds TV series, yes, was a sequel to this movie. That has up to including the point that Harrison Blackwood, the star of the, the series, was the adopted son of Clayton Forrester. Yep, um, I-, I think. That he was that little kid that had knocked over the ice cream oh, you vehicle think so? and was was chomping on the fudgesicles with the dog. I I just feel like that's the kind of thing Harrison Blackwood would do. Uh, he does the right as age a child. Well, he he would have to be. Yeah, he'd be in his thirties then. Yeah, that would work. Because yeah. the the backstory is that he was orphaned in the okay. in the war. The war that no one remembers. I. Yeah, I remember watching the TV series on and off 
and I remember, I remember it being on like, um, I forget the name of UPN. the network. Was the UPN? They had like uh, Friday the Thirteenth and a few other shows yeah. on there. Well, it was the Paramount. What I forget what they call it. They had Next Generation, the War of the Worlds, and no, 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 no. It's definitely Paramount. Sure. It's definitely Paramount. It was definitely Paramount. Friday the Thirteenth, Star Trek: The Next Generation, War of the Worlds. Yeah, okay, but there we go. It, yeah, but I don't. I don't think it was called UPN back then. It was something else. Yeah, UPN was what they launched when they did Voyager. I, I believe. But anyway, the point is that series, which in some ways I really like to do on the podcast, and in other ways I really don't want to. I would mind four episodes. Oh my, that's a biggie. Two years, remember. I two years. Only remember bits and pieces of it. Uh, the alien, oh, the Martians, the Martians ate roses. Um, yes, yes, they did. They had to they did have weird a stuff. steady source of radiation where they would get sick. Yes, um, the radiation kept the bugs at dead. They oh, had to be right. radiated so that the yeah. yeah, yeah. But it killed their host bodies. So they right, kept right. So the, they would always have to. Have Find to, uh, yeah, right. Uh, in, do an invasion of the body snatchers on type thing, yeah, whatever, which saved on special effects, right? Um, that's about right it. Now. That's all I re- pretty much all I remember. It, it was, uh, it was, yeah, <laughs> and that it was that an persistent question show. of why doesn't anybody remember the big war in 1953? A few occasions, Sylvia Van Buren was in it. Oh, okay. she was in several episodes. Um, the man who played um, is it Gene Barry, who played Clayton Forrester. Why do I? Why am I saying Gene Barry? That doesn't sound right. Uh, yeah, Gene Barry. Gene Barry. Okay, he was yeah. dead, so uh, they didn't have him in the right in the movie in the show. But but uh, uh, Anne Robinson, I think, uh, w- was uh, alive, and they had her in a few episodes. And I, you know, there is something. I, totally off tangent here but there was something weird about that i don't think that they ever got married oh okay i mean you would watch the end of this film and you would say obviously they get married and they live happily ever after and then you listen to the war of the worlds and he was adopted by dr forrester and sylvia was obviously there but she is still sylvia van buren and i don't think there's any mention of them being my parents Uh. just which seems like an odd choice for them to make for the series, I mean, it's a it's a line of dialogue one way or the other. They got married, or we just don't mention it. And it's like, well, it's what you'd expect at the end of this film. They're obviously deeply in love, and too stupid to duck. <laughs> you know, when that scene ends, when the the war machine comes down and they're standing in the church, and they are standing there locked in a hug. Yeah, I mean, it's just a hug, but I mean, they're locked in a they're locked in a hug. And, the, you know, boom and dust and thing and the war machine stop. And then they slowly begin to pull back and there's like bodies all over the floor. Right. Everywhere else there are bodies on the floor. And I'm like, they just got lucky. Did they, did they survive when everyone else in that church got, nope, nope. All of those people are getting up now. They were just smart enough to get down. <laughs> yeah. But, but those two are just like, I'm going to meet... I'm going to meet my doom right here in the arms of the one I love, whatever. Which, to be fair, in the original War of the Worlds, that's our protagonist, our unnamed protagonist, basically gives up. In the moments before the war machines are discovered to be dead, he's just, 
the madness overtakes him and is like, nah, I'm, I'm going. Let the Martians <laughs> kill me. Yeah. I, this is I, it. I, so I don't have to kill myself. I'll just go. Right. I'll go out there and, I don't know, shout at them or something. But uh, scream at the clouds. Yeah. And I think that's what they're doing here. They're just like, you know something? We're dead. I'm going, going on my feet, hugging you. Uh-huh. Think, but do you have anything else? Uh, nope. Can't think of anything. <laughs> not the top of my head. No, not. They, they skipped Venus in the opening uh, narration. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. I wonder why. Apparently they didn't know much about Venus. Well, historically, and that's with quotes, Venus has already always been seen as kind of a lush tropical paradise. I don't know why, but um, yeah, I think it's because of the clouds. That. Yeah, that so, yeah, I guess the so. funny part I think is that they thought Jupiter was made of cliffs of lava and ice. Oh yeah, that's good. Like, well, yeah. maybe if you get down, you know, past the your atmospheric pressure is going to make you a liquid and then turn that into something else. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. nope, nope, I don't think so. <clears throat> that is that is not the current thinking. It's <laughs> all the way down. Yeah, uh, <laughs> until it stops, and then you're too late. Yeah. So anyway, um, gosh, we have almost run out of George Powell films. At least George oh, Powell films. There is just but one left that I can think of. What is that? The Type Machine. Oh, yes. Some reason I think of Doc Savage, but that's more adventure. I think he may have done something to do with Doc Savage. Yeah, that was his last that. film, I believe. Yeah, but not that. <laughs> no, not that, not no. that. One of these days, we'll get to uh, the time machine, I guess. And, and we're just so exhausted. Join us for warlock feeding time. Whee! I'm going to have to go back and reread that book. It's been a long, long time since I read the well, time I'm machine. I'm just going to watch the movie. That's it. I, I like to I like to see what they've removed. Oh, uh, okay. And how do they how do they cram the religious angle into it? Uh, that I George don't Bell know. does love that. He does love that. Well, okay, that would be for the next episode because I'm not going to say anything. There you I go. Guess. Spoilers. Exactly. Spoilers. <laughs> John, thank you for joining me. Oh, you're welcome. Listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash fusionpatrol or patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at fusionpatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusionpatrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production. On the next episode of Fusion Patrol, we consider if constellations look the same on the other side. When Chekhov's gun misfires, and do robots have murder-suicide packs? When we look at the Galactica 1980 episode, The Night the Cylons Landed.